Yeah, I think we just need to be pushing people towards eating whole foods regardless of where it is. And so if somebody's coming from a standard American diet and they're going to say, well, the only thing I'm going to eat is, uh, is roasted white potatoes. That's the only thing you're going to get me to eat. I'm going to say, great, do it. Because it's head and shoulders above what they're currently eating, right? Or if somebody says, I hate vegetables, I'm only going to eat fruit, but I'm eating, you know, standard American diet. I'm going to say, great, do it. Now, where is optimum? a diverse array of fruits and vegetables, because then you're getting this diverse amount of the, the different types of fiber, the different vitamins and minerals, the different phytochemicals. And so actually kind of when you tipped off this whole, this whole point that we're on right now, it's like, yes, optimal nutrition is actually inclusive. And I feel like mm. there's so much focus on eliminating and don't have this and food sensitivities. And it's like, no, it's ideal to keep your diet diverse because that's where you get the coverage across all the different nutrients within the context of whole foods. I'm not talking about diversity of Pop-Tarts. <laughs> <laughs> but they're organic. <laughs> we are here because we know the outcomes in our lives are within our control. That taking absolute ownership of how we eat, sleep, train, think, and connect with each other is how we'll optimize our health and happiness. That chasing excellence is how we grab hold of what is possible. Our mission is to live on the run, always chasing, never stopping. Hello, everyone. Hi. I'm talking to you, too. Uh. <laughs> um, ben, how are you? I'm good. We have, a we have a guest today. So exciting. Uh, E.C. Sinkowski, how are you? Great. How are you doing? Thank Good, good, good. Thank you so much for coming over um, and coming on the podcast with us. I wanted to start first with a little bit of context as to who you are. Okay. Um, for those of us who have been around CrossFit and the CrossFit community for a long time, uh, a lot of people probably know you. Um, I met you first probably 10 years ago at the the old CrossFit Boston. Mm -hmm. um, you were a coach there, and I, I vaguely remember you liking weightlifting. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you've come quite a long ways from there. Mm -hmm. uh, I would love to get a sense of what that journey has looked like for, for you. Mm -hmm. um, you can start, you know, back in those days at, at CrossFit Boston or start wherever you sort of feel like it's, a, it's relevant to. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me on. Excited to be here and back at CrossFit New England for sure. So yeah, definitely. Uh, CrossFit started for me back in 2006 and it was at CrossFit Boston. And I did have a a slight obsession with weightlifting, <laughs> partially because at my first level one, so this goes back to 2006, was when they were three days long. <laughs> and they also had all of the specialty coaches. And so Coach Bergner was at our level one. And I believe he told me at that seminar, the next one I went to, that I was an athlete. He would only allow people or only allow me to power snatch because my squat snatch was so terrible. Mm, my squat mm. was so poor. And so I was like, game on. <laughs> so I wanted weightlifting to become kind of a specialty of mine after hearing that and knowing I was so bad at it. So that's why weightlifting really became um, an interest of mine. But essentially, and I, I've mentioned this a couple of times, I think it's hard for people to understand who started CrossFit, you know, 2010 or 11, that Back in those days, um, the only event to really do in CrossFit was to keep going to your level one. So I kept showing up at level ones. You know, I went to my first one as a student, but then you go, you go back and you got to be a trainer at the next ones. And so, and they weren't very frequently, you know, it was every few months. And so I would travel to Pittsburgh and Toronto and Santa Cruz. And it was just like, oh yeah, I'm going. And it was sort of a, the Woodstock mm. of fitness. And there wasn't, you know, it's like hard traveling for people to, road show. Yeah. People, I think people don't remember. It's like, there wasn't even a rogue fitness. There wasn't no. all these competitions. Right. There, there was, you know, it's hard to imagine now, but it's like, if you wanted to hang out with CrossFitters, you went to the level one. Mm. 
But that's, of course, then how I also got onto seminar staff. The process changed over the years. But in the early years, it was just because I kept showing up. Yeah, um, consistency. Right? <laughs> consistency. She's going to be here anyway. <laughs> I know. Let's give her a shirt. <laughs> I know. Yeah, she's going to be here. Um, so that was a great kind of step onto the seminar staff. And, that, you know, over years, that position developed. Um, and then they were growing fast enough that they needed a full-time position kind of behind the scenes. And so that's when I was brought on as a, a program manager for them mm-hmm. and stayed with them for about six years as they were growing quite rapidly. So had a lot of different roles with them. Yeah. yeah. Um, and at some point you, uh, left CrossFit and did, is that when you went to school and, and if so, what was that schooling? Where was it? Uh, and what did you focus on? Yeah, I actually started my second master's degree while I was working as a program manager for CrossFit. Um, and it was in human nutrition and functional medicine out of the University of Western States. It's a physical campus in Portland, Oregon, but my program was all online. And so I started it while I was working full time. And as I was finishing up that degree program, I kind of well, one, it was hard to do school full time with work full time, but also knew that I wanted to go more in a nutrition direction. Mm-hmm. Um, so as that was winding down, I remember very clearly I was taking this immunology class with this amazing professor and I just felt like I wasn't dedicating enough time and attention. And I was like, okay, it's time to pull away from CrossFit and focus on nutrition. So I wrapped that degree up at the end of 2017, um, had resigned about I think six months before that, and then started Optimize Me Nutrition, mm-hmm. which I originally started as a one-on-one consulting model, but really found that I enjoy education and some larger scale programs. So have pivoted a little bit with some products and other things. Very cool. Uh, and it should be said, uh, the nutrition for you, I, I joked about the weightlifting, but the nutrition was always there from the very beginning as well. It's not mm-hmm. as if one day you woke up and you said, oh gosh, I'm interested in this. That mm-hmm. That had always been part of, at least my experience with mm-hmm. you, that had always been part of uh, what you were interested in, focused on, and talked quite a bit about. Totally. Yeah, I mean, if you go back in the CrossFit Journal, you and I have a couple. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> right? Uh, nutrition uh, videos there. But for sure, my undergrad was in biochem engineering, and my first master's had a kind of a component with genetics. And so biology was always interesting to me. And then once I went to my level one, it was like, oh, my gosh, you know, this nutrition stuff. So, yeah, nutrition was there for a long time. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Um, where, Ben, where do you want to, I mean, this nutrition is one of those subjects that we've talked about it before. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's vast and it's ever changing and it's really hard to get a good grip, grip or grasp on what is real, what is maybe less than real. Um, given that, where do you want to, we have VC here, where do yeah. you want to begin this conversation with her? Uh, how do we want to pick her brain today? So I'm super excited about this because whenever I'm with EC, and I'm, I've been with EC a lot, like she she's she lived with us for a mm-hmm. while. Like I feel like everybody, everybody yeah, lived everybody, with everybody's lived. With, I know everybody's <laughs> come true. on a podcast has lived in my basement at some point. So, That's awesome. um, but like I, those times that we were together, it's like I was basically like just picking your brain nonstop. So I'm super excited to have the opportunity to do it again. Um, I think that one of your um, talents is the ability to take this what could be this rabbit hole, this um, endless um, spider web of information and condensing it down to something that, no pun intended, but is very digestible. It's um, it's real world. So um, maybe like knowing that you could geek out with the best nerds way above my level, even your degrees, I can't pronounce those degrees. <laughs> um, but at a super high level, what's the one thing, and then maybe we'll get a little more geeked out as we go, but mm. what's the one thing we should all be focusing on with nutrition? And I know that that's a hard question because who am I speak, who are you speaking mm-hmm. to? But if you, yeah. were to, if you were to just 
speak from like a um, a policyholder standpoint. Like this mm-hmm. is what we're going to be doing. So we're going to be focusing on what is that one thing. Yeah, I mean, tough question for sure to sum it up in one thing. But a lot of times when I get any question about nutrition, and I'm not trying to be flippant with the answer, but a lot of times people will be asking about this supplement or this protocol or this lab test. My response is, what did you have for breakfast? It's always bringing it back to your daily nutrition, what you're having most of the time throughout the day across most days, weeks, and months. And that's where I think we get a little bit far afield as we start worrying about all these kind of extraneous details And it's like, yeah, this morning you had like two donuts and a a latte, you know, like, (laughs) so always kind of bring it back to that daily dose of whatever it is. So what should we be having for breakfast? (laughs) The more you can trend towards whole unprocessed foods, the better. I mean, that is also, I think, where there's some confusion in the nutrition literature, because you'll see a study that might be on spinach, or you might see a study on oranges, or something on the Okinawa diet, or the Mediterranean diet. And so all of a sudden, after you hear the results, you're like, I need more spinach. I need more oranges or I need to eat like, you know, Okinawans. And instead it's the trend is whole unprocessed food is associated with health. And the more that you have that in your diet, the more health protective you are. There's also a little bit of a wrinkle there, which is really cool about quality is when you focus on quality, generally quantity falls in line. Not always. You can mess up that system, but the more whole unprocessed foods you have in your diet, the less likely you are to overeat. So it's kind of two birds with one stone, but not perfect. Does it go the other way? Or I imagine it, it, it doesn't go the other way, but that if you focus on quantity, quality doesn't sort of, doesn't, doesn't follow as naturally? Not as naturally, right? I mean, we can see that with macros where people can have any foods they want to hit their macros. Um, now, if they're starving, it helps to have the whole foods, but it, it doesn't quite work as, as cleanly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you were to, hard line pick quality <laughs> or quantity are you it sounds like you're edging towards i'm not yeah words your mouth yeah if, if there is a like i'm not i'm not gonna weigh measure anything i'm gonna eat everything with a blindfold mm-hmm. or i refuse to shop at a supermarket i'm only gonna get things from mm-hmm. other other sources is there one that's better in terms of quality or quantity I would say for most of us, the 99% of us who are not professional athletes and not living based on our athletic ability, it's quality, right? I mean, the problem when you look at quality is that you're not necessarily optimizing for performance. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, even I was just re-looking at some of the stuff on the Okinawa diet, like it's not really a high protein diet, but they live for a very long time, but they're also not trying to compete in CrossFit at any point. (laughs) So assuming that we're talking about non-professional athletes who are looking for long longevity, yeah, it's going to put a nod towards quality because quantity tends to fall in line as well. So in terms of, um, you know, you started mentioning you like, uh, you see this thing about spinach, you see this thing about oranges, you see the thing about the Okinawans. Um, those are all done off of like research studies, I'm guessing. Could be. Yeah. Okay. could be. Or what else could they be? What, well, they would be. Like, but where, do saying, these, where do these recommendations come from? Yeah. I mean, there's different types of research out there. There's the uh, epidemiological studies where you're just sort of looking at trends in a population. And that's less good scientific evidence because you're not controlling for all the factors. But then you could have a metabolic ward study. What's where, an example of an epidemiological? Um, <laughs> epidemiological. Um, did you hear that study recently about the eggs? There was another egg oh, I study. <laughs> There's another egg study that I think <laughs> I know. This one yeah. was saying bad, but essentially, if I get it right, um, and it was came out in JAMA, which is a it's a rel- very well respected journal, um, like an every half egg 
pretty much increases your risk for heart disease. And don't quote me exactly on the numbers here because I don't have the paper in front of me. But it was basically saying that, yes, more eggs in your diet um, is increasing your health risk. And so, of course, then eggs are bad. And if you yeah, but isn't that like healthy user bias and things like that? Like exactly, because so what happened was they were just taking people's data, and in fact, that's one of the limitations of the study. But they're just saying they're taking talking to people, and they're saying, "Oh, you ate three eggs on Wednesday, and oh, you ate two eggs on Saturday." They didn't say you have to eat this many eggs this many times. And if you don't control it like that, the conclusions you can draw are only that eggs are associated with risk, not that eggs cause it. And so there's a lot of nutrition research out there that's this associated with, mm -hmm. and people will run, will run with that. That's why if you Google this study, you're going to see these outlandish headlines that eggs are killing you today. And like, yet we know that they can also be in the context of a healthy diet as well. And so that's some of it, the, that there's a lot of nutrition research that's this observation studies, and there's much less of these metabolic ward or randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trials that really show Because it's causation. really hard, hard to do that and really expensive. expensive. Yeah. So like... Um, so that's why there's a lot of this mystery around nutrition, right? Mm -hmm. Because there is very few definitive studies that are control for all variables that can say this is better for you than this because we don't know. Everything is kind of like, I don't say hypothetical, but it's like this person did this, this mm -hmm. civilization, these um, communities did this and they live yep. mm -hmm. to 100 and disease free, but yes. there's probably a lot of other factors that might come along. Oh, so totally. But then the other point I want to point out about nutrition research is really hard. Let's take an example of like, they are doing a controlled study where they're looking at higher or lower fat content. Mm -hmm. Well, the problem in the group where they reduce fat means they also are probably increasing carbohydrates because the cal caloric load has to stay the same. Right. So. so then do we know, was it the less fat that was the reason that we saw the results or was it because of the more carbohydrates? Right. And this is when you start like really getting kind of confused and lost in the weeds because it, you don't know. You don't know if it was maybe there were some beneficial compounds in the carbohydrates that weren't actually the carbohydrates. It was the vitamins and minerals from more fruits and vegetables. And this is where it gets really yeah. tough to tease out all this stuff. All right. Before we get down too yeah. many rabbit holes um and we jumped right into like I know. how nutritional science sucks um may give us a what's what is so you've created um through optimize me nutrition you've created this 800 gram challenge yeah um a little bit of uh the what and the why mm -hmm. um so what is it and why did you why is why yeah. is that what you settled on yeah so the 800 gram challenge is to eat 800 grams by weight of fruits and vegetables each day. And I think what's a little bit confusing is I think most people who have weighed and measured their food before in the CrossFit space, they've been looking at it from caloric contribution, carbohydrate grams, where this you're literally putting the orange you're about to eat on a scale and its total weight is what you add up across the course of the day to get to 800. And it doesn't matter which fruits or vegetables you pick. It's up to you. You continue to eat whatever else you want in the diet too, you know, your protein or your wine, whatever it is. Um, and when you weigh them, it doesn't matter if it's cooked, canned, frozen, or fresh. So fruits and vegetables, put them on the scale, add them up towards your 800 grams. So that's the challenge. Um, and why? Well, it really was tipped off from a study that I, I mean, we'll, we can go into some of the early parts of it, but the final 800 gram number was because I ran into a study during my master's degree and it was a meta-analysis, which, which means it's looking at a lot of different studies. So this study was looking at 95 different studies, which is a lot, and was looking at fruit and vegetable consumption relative to health outcomes. What happens when people eat X amount of fruits and vegetables? What happens to them long-term? And what they found was that at 600 grams of consumption a day, cancer risk went down. And at 800 grams a day, cardiovascular disease risk went down, as well as all causes of dying. So your death risk went down 800 grams. And I immediately was like, 
Wow. You can go skydiving. <laughs> if I ate my vegetables, I can go skydiving. That's right. Yeah. I'm going to try to do that. Run, loose, you run with the bulls? Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm going to get your 800 grams. Okay. Real quick, okay. 800 grams. Is that... Um, is that generally more than most people are getting yes. or is that less? Because we've talked about obviously decreasing the carbohydrate um, intake, mm -hmm. but you're saying that that's uh, because it's fruit and veggies, that's that's more than most people are getting. Fruit and vegetables, way more than most people are getting. Okay. Um, so kind of part of the reason why I love this idea, besides the fact it's associated with health, was that it was also very simple. So one of the things, and this actually now I'll go into the kind of the history of it. A long time ago, a dinner at your house, Heather was making dinner or whatever. And she's like, you can't, you can never eat enough vegetables. Right. And I remember just sort of thinking like, wow, we don't really know how much we're supposed to be having. Right. Like uh, I can say <laughs> case in point, Heather eats too many vegetables, <laughs> particularly broccoli before going to bed. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm not getting involved. <laughs> Um, <laughs> cauliflower also fits the same. We'll put that in the same category. Right, got it. But I remember that point because she was just like, oh my gosh, you can never eat enough vegetables. And I was just sort of thinking, well, yeah, you don't want to eat 20 heads of broccoli. It's, it's not really comfortable, right? And so that was kind of the initial thought. And I remember looking at recommendations and they're always talking about serving sizes. Like the USDA, it'll talk about serving sizes for fruits and vegetables. And I love their intention, but really their recommendations are like, Every day you need a half cup of red and orange vegetables and two cups of leafy greens and a quarter cup of beans. And it's like really hard to keep track of all of these different groups and how much and all that stuff. And so the 800 gram number was a really easy way to like get a healthy dose of fruits and vegetables, but make it super simple to implement as well. And then the user can optimize it for them. If they want to target lower carb with it, great. You can do it for under 40 grams of carbs a day. Mm -hmm. If you want to target higher carb, you can, if you, um, you know, have specific macros that you need to hit that you can, if you hate, I don't know, broccoli, don't eat broccoli. Great. There's plenty of other options. How, what is just for conceptually people have never weighed and measured before. Yeah. What does 800 grams look like? What is mm -hmm. like, are we talking like a piece of fruit at every meal and that gets you there? Or are we not even close with that? No, that'll get you about halfway. So 800 grams fits on a standard dinner plate. Um, and it's about six cups. So what I like to get coach people is say, hey, have two cups at each main meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and you're going to hit it. Two cups of fruits or vegetables. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, second one to that is it sounds like you're advocating for a plant-based diet. Um, I think that you need to have a good amount of plant matter in your diet. Um, that doesn't mean that it can it only needs to be only plants. And that's where it comes down to what your goals are. But I think the research is most consistent in favor of plants. Um, and that's what you find with a lot of these really traditional diets. It was high in plants. And it's not just because of the vitamins and minerals. It's also the fiber, which affects gut microbiota. And we can get into that. It's also because of all these phytochemicals, which we have no idea all of them and what they're all doing. So there's so many powerful things about plants that yes, <clears throat> even for athletes, um, you want to have plant matter in the diet. That doesn't mean you have no protein. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So if it's, if there is no protein, do you advocate a certain, so I, I get that the 800 gram challenge is this, mm -hmm. um, but then to optimize health in your opinion, outside of the 800, I get the simplicity mm -hmm. and factor of that. Yeah. I also love the fact that the thing that I, I gravitate to the most of that is this shift in spectrum from a diet doesn't have to be restrictive. You're saying you have to eat at mm -hmm. least this much. Mm -hmm. So it's the opposite. It kind of flips the script. Totally. Like you, once you get this in, like go for it. Do mm -hmm. your other stuff. But 
as we know, like as you put some things in, you don't have as much room for other things. So totally. I'm a huge fan of that. We've in the gym, you know, we've done other yeah. ones where it's like, you know, you have to eat so much vegetables yep. at every meal, including breakfast, which is a really, really Hard tough one, one to for do. <laughs> and not fruit. We actually yeah. said vegetables. Yeah. Um, so I guess maybe that's another question is, um, why not the separation between fruits and vegetables? You yeah. know, we've talked forever about, you know, you know, I can remember when I first learned about nutrition, yeah. it was this thing called the glycemic index. And mm-hmm. then if you were really in the know, you knew about the glycemic the load. load yep. So um, really quickly for those maybe not initiated, glycemic index is kind of the amount of sugar in essentially mm-hmm. in, in um, your food. And the glycemic load is also that combined with the number of carbohydrates in the food. Right. So the thought was if you lower the glycemic load – of the food that you would be eating a diet that would not raise your blood sugar as much, mm-hmm. not cause as many adverse effects mm-hmm. from a health perspective. Um, f- fruit seemed to be higher mm-hmm. on the glycemic index mm-hmm. while most vegetables were lower. Mm-hmm. Why do you choose not to separate those two? Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of questions there and we can get into the nitty gritty of the glycemic index, but one of the reasons I don't separate them is just because the status of our, our diets right now, like, we just need people eating more whole food. Um, and I actually think fruits are just as good as vegetables so we can get into carbohydrate load too. But this whole idea of like ranking whole foods relative to one another really bothers me because there's never one food that's going to have all the nutrients Mm. that we need. Right. And that's one of the problems like best protein source. And it's like, okay, maybe on a protein basis, but like beans have a ton of value for polyphenols and fiber and stuff like that. So this idea that of always looking at one nutrient and then ranking foods against it, I'm like totally against that. So Um, so yeah, I think we just need to be pushing people towards eating whole foods, regardless of where it is. And so if somebody's coming from a standard American diet and they're going to say, well, the only thing I'm going to eat is, uh, is roasted white potatoes. That's the only thing you're gonna get me to eat. I'm gonna say, great, do it because it's head and shoulders above what they're currently eating. Right. Or if somebody says, I hate vegetables, I'm only going to eat fruit, but I'm eating, you know, standard American diet. I'm gonna say, great, do it. Now, where's optimum? A diverse array of fruits and vegetables, because then you're getting this diverse amount of the, fi- the different types of fiber, the different vitamins and minerals, the different phytochemicals. And so actually kind of when you tipped off this whole, this whole point that we're on right now, it's like, yes, optimal nutrition is actually inclusive. And I feel like mm. there's so much focus on eliminating and don't have this and food sensitivities. And it's like, no, it's ideal to keep your diet diverse because that's where you get the coverage across all the different nutrients within the context of whole foods. I'm not talking about diversity of Pop-Tarts. <laughs> <laughs> but they're organic. <laughs> is there a point in that process where elimination is helpful, maybe in the early stages, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you're coming from you know that, that classic uh, American uh, diet? Is it useful to get people to say, okay, let's eliminate all of this first and then we can start to work on the quant or the quality and the quantity of your food. Or even is that step too, I don't want to say too much, but is that too hard for too many people? I think full scale elimination isn't always necessary, right? And especially someone coming with a standard American diet, I would just want to say, again, let me see that you can do the 800 gram challenge before we worry about, you know, whether or not you have to eliminate. And then it's elimination diets are powerful. They are one of the best tools that functional medicine uses in the context of clinical symptoms. And so I think that's where we get a little bit of field as well. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to start eliminating things because this blogger said that they have some anti-nutrients or something like that. And it's like, 
but how do you feel and how mm-hmm. are your health markers, you know? And if there's no symptom, then why are we just like axing off all of these possible different foods? And not just from a nutrient diversity perspective, but also from sustainability. It's like, if you're just down to eating like sweet potatoes and beef, I don't know, it gets pretty boring after a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's interesting you say that. <laughs> One of the, <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I love the Japanese yam. It's yeah. every day. So. One, one of the things that uh, is on your site, um, it, it, or one of the things that is alluded to on your site is this idea of that maybe a little bit of boredom is actually, mm. I mean, a little bit of boredom isn't bad. That in fact, uh, when when you're quote unquote bored, really what you're doing, especially nutritionally, is focusing on, I think what you said, the focusing on the fundamentals mm. every single day. Mm-hmm. So can you talk to, to me, to, to us about how much, two things really is how much boredom is sort of necessary and then is that is the fact that it is necessary at all a very big hindrance for a lot of the people you've worked with in terms of their compliance over the long term to whether it's the 800 gram challenge or sure. whether it's just focusing on eating whole foods yeah I'd like to use the word simple instead of boredom. That's, that's, that's <laughs> a better well branded word. And you yes. said you didn't well like done. marketing. That's right. right. That's well right. done. That's right. I'm proud um, of you. Yeah. I mean, I guess it could get boring after a while. Yeah. I mean, but it's kind of like any sort of professional. I mean, you could t- compare it to athletics so easily, right? Like the best coaches focus on the fundamentals. I saw that video. I think of Annie Thor's daughter prepping for like a handstand push-up workout. It's like the same warm-up she does every mm-hmm. single time. And it's like the scapular mobility and all this stuff. And, and it's like, yeah, it always comes down to doing the basics really well. And um, I guess there can be some boredom in it because, yes, every single day it's the same and new things get exciting. Um, but it's really just keeping things really simple. And I actually think the hard part is just doing it long term, right? Right. That's the hard part is executing that every single mm-hmm. day, just so like a are, professional athlete. Are the basics then? Let's, let's hammer down those fundamentals. Yeah. So we because if that's what's most important, mm-hmm. um, it's it sounds like it's whole foods. Mm-hmm. Um if possible, that 800 grams mm-hmm. of fruits and vegetables is the primary source. Mm-hmm. Um, so we know we have some level of quantity and quality. What else is the are the fundamentals? <laughs> yeah. Or is it, if if you do that, do you kind of have it? Is I would it, say, yeah. For is most it elimination of, us- of processed foods on top of that, or is it um, add in some clean source of protein? Is it um, healthy yeah. fats? What's the next? my like basics on nutrition and lifestyle are you know, quality, which I think 800 gram is a good measure. It's not going to be perfect number for everybody, but it's a pretty good start. Quantity, don't eat too much. There's tons of ways to skin that cat and that could take us down another rabbit hole, but quality, quantity, you can't eat too much. Are you exercising and are you sleeping enough? And like, get those done. Make sure that all of those are in line, consistent every day before we start worrying about any other stuff. Love it. So it's not even... (laughs) So exercising and sleeping from the nutrition guru mm-hmm. it's not even in the nutrition world but that's how important <clears throat> those are yeah so um fruits vegetables and did you say we're supposed to eat skinned cats <laughs> did i say that <laughs> when did i say that a bunch of ways to skin this cat oh yeah, skin the cat yeah. oh yeah sorry i, I like my cat unskinned i was like so now the animal people yeah they're gonna yell at me now yes how would you say that um, I was talking about quantity, like don't eat too much. I know you use, yeah. <clears throat> you take talk about that also. And it's tons of ways to skin that cat in terms yeah. of how you measure that. 
Um, but ultimately at the end of the day, it's don't eat more than you need. And whether or not you want to do macros, great. Whether or not you can set a protein target and that helps you stay within it, great. If it's zone, great. If you know how to eyeball it, great. <laughs> I mean, yeah. if you intermittent fast, great. There's so many different ways to go about proper quantity that I don't know that you want to talk about all of those right now, but those are the ideas. Get enough high quality food. Don't eat too much exercise regularly to whatever you like. I mean, I love CrossFit, but if it's, if it's yoga or something else, do that and then sleep enough. Let's, let's hit on a couple of those really quickly because yeah. I think people would love to hear your take on, um, give us your take on intermittent fasting. Yeah. Intermittent fasting at its core is a really simple way to limit quantity. You know, if you can't eat for all the hours in the day, typically our quantity comes down. So typically we can lose weight that way very effectively. Does it have other benefits beyond the calorie restriction? Does it help the... Um, your body find homeostasis and it's not, it, 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 yeah, it's all the yeah. hormonal responses. Your body's not digesting. It's doing other stuff and it heals the, it allows your gut microbiome to it have does a little party stuff. instead of. Yeah. <laughs> the like, microbiome party. Yeah. Um, it does that stuff. But the question is, does that outperform just eating the right quantity consistently? And that we don't know. Like if you take people and you put them in intermittent fasting, they're often have been overeating, right? I mean, that's just we overeat. <laughs> so I'd love to see a study that's like intermittent fasting at a certain quantity. And then those same people not intermittent fasting at the same quantity, that's the appropriate quantity for them mm. and see if there's really this so added you, benefit. Your take is that the majority of benefits from intermittent, intermittent fasting come from the just not eating as much. Just not eating the as much. Time restricted eating. Time restricted eating. Yeah. I mean, because it's, people then eat less and but when you eat the right quantity, like part of the reason people like intermittent fasting is this whole idea of metabolic flexibility, switching between carbohydrate and fat burning. You can do that if you're also eating the right quantity of food. And so that's where I'm like, well, does intermittent fasting really outperform just eating the right quality over or quantity over the long term? We don't know. Okay. Or at uh, least I don't know that that's been done. <laughs> and what about keto? Mm-hmm. What, what, what about it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so you just kind of alluded to it in terms of like the switching mm-hmm. between this fat burning mm-hmm. and, um, you know, a carb burner. Mm-hmm. And you've heard a lot of the same things too, in terms of like when people go, um, into ketosis, mm-hmm. their gut, maybe we should talk about gut health as well. Cause we're kind of dancing around that a little bit. Um, so maybe if you could touch on that in terms yeah. of like, maybe we'll start, maybe let's skip over keto for a second. Okay. Let's just talk about this gut health thing and the yeah. gut microbiome and what is it? Is it important? It's all the rage and it everyone, the everybody rage. that feels like, you know, is, if you're, if you're um, a nutritionist and you're not talking about it, people kind of almost discount you to this point. It's like, yeah. Um, so what is the gut microbiome? Um, should we be paying attention <clears throat> to it? If we should, how do we improve the health of our? Yeah. Gut yeah. microbiome, uh, so you have over a thousand different living microorganisms in your gut, which actually isn't your stomach. And, uh, a thousand different. Different yes. species, yeah. And most of those microbio- uh, microbiota are living in your actual large intestine. There's a little bit in your small intestine, but most of it is in your large intestine or your colon. And it's the, the species that we know the most are bacteria, but there's also protozoa and there's also viruses and stuff like that. Um, and one of the reasons why it's so important is because it really affects your immune system. Your immune system, because you get so much of this foreign material through eating, <laughs> your immune system is constantly scanning what you're eating and the species that are represented there to determine one is what you ate harmful, but also what are the species there and are they harmful? And then that's then affecting your immune system, how it responds like, oh, there's a threat or, oh, there's not a threat. And what we're finding is that 
depending on the different types of species you have and how much of them you have, it might be associated with various disease states or higher states of inflammation. So people might, you know, people that have cardiovascular disease might have more of this type of species and less of this type of species. So that's when people are getting these microbiome tests. It's saying, okay, what species do you have? How much do you have of each one? And how does that compare to an otherwise healthy population? So some really cool stuff there in terms of what we're understanding about the microbiota. We're not quite totally at the step to understand is your food driving that or did you have something genetic and then your immune system is now changing your microbiota. Like we don't know which, I forget the phrase, but like which end is like wagging the dog, right? Isn't there a phrase like that? There is now. (laughs) (laughs) Which end is wagging the dog? Isn't there like a... You know what I mean? Okay, sure. someone's gonna someone's gonna remember. But yeah. anyway, we don't know which side of this is really driving the other. Um, so yeah, the microbiota is definitely important. One of my concerns about microbiota testing, and I and there's lots of people doing it and all of that stuff. It's great. So you go out and you do this microbiome test. You get the results. You see that you are or not similar to other people out there. What are you going to do now? Like you have this result, and maybe you see that some species is out of whack. Well, what are you gonna do? Hopefully you're working with a qualified practitioner who understands how to change this. If we need to change it, maybe you don't need to change it, but that's just it. Like, so you get, you find out, you know, that you have this distribution. Do you just go to the blogs and start taking essential oils or like that? Like, that's not what, no, don't do that. You know what I mean? Like, that's not what I want. And that's where I think there's also some kind of a gap there is I wouldn't want people to get this readout and then they just start making their own choice based on what they're reading on kind of the blogosphere to decide how to alter their gut microbiota. Now, how can you do it generally in a healthy way? <laughs> Eat more fruits and vegetables. Why? Because the fiber feeds the good, the good side of the microbiota and all of those polyphenols that are the colored compounds in our fruits and vegetables also shift the microbiota in a more favorable way. So even if you have a poor distribution in the absence of a healthcare practitioner, the next step would be eat more whole and processed foods, specifically fruits and vegetables. Okay. Um, and you mm-hmm. said that it's uh, it's kind of the fiber that feeds these guys. Mm-hmm. They're soluble and there's insoluble fiber. Mm-hmm. Totally. One is more present in fruits and vegetables. The yep. other is more present in like um, like oats and mm-hmm. things like that. Am yep. I correct on that? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, do we need both? both? Yeah. Okay. So if I'm eating just the 800 gram challenge mm-hmm. and I'm really focusing on that and then the rest of my... Um, calories can be taken up by my protein and mm-hmm. my fats. And mm-hmm. should we also be looking for other carbohydrate sources like oatmeal, like sure. psyllium husk or whatever it might be? Sure. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a yeah. good prebiotic fiber. Um, yeah. So yeah, it depends on what fruits and vegetables you're choosing that will overall determine how many carbohydrate grams you're getting from the 800 gram challenge. Now, assuming you're doing a mixed fruit and vegetable array, and you're not super trying to target low carb or high carb, what ends up happening is it's about hundred grams of carbohydrates or less it's between 90 and hundred, unless you start having more. That's potato. not that much. No, exactly. And I'm going to get to that point in a second. But the point is a lot of people will have carbohydrates from other places. Now, can I say that after 800 grams, it's just carte blanche to go have ice cream or rice or oatmeal or whatever, pick your next carbohydrate. Yeah. No, I can't. But we know now that you're having in a level that's associated with health and that's way better than where a lot of people are, right? Okay. Um, pulling it back to the microbiome, mm-hmm. um, you said that the kind of one of the big things there is it's um, regulating your immune system. Mm-hmm. And if the immune system goes out of whack, it can cause inflammation. Mm-hmm. What is inflammation? <laughs> It's basically. I know inflammation yeah. when I sprain my ankle. Yep. But that doesn't seem to be happening to my gut. Yeah. Or is it? 
Yeah, it's basically signaling. It's basically signaling in your immune system that there's a problem. And so your immune system keeps responding because there's a problem. And you wouldn't want that from, let's say, because of something that you're eating or the way that you're eating to keep driving that process. You wouldn't want your body to be naturally responding, saying danger, danger, because you ate, I don't know, pick too much fat or too much calories, something like that. And so it's really just signaling to your immune system that yes, we still have a problem. <laughs> okay, and what happens when it's, so what we say as a problem, was it yeah. like you ate something bad that your body didn't like? You, bought, you ate like- uh, Too many calories can put you in inflammation, too right? Because you find inflammation or, associated with obesity. And you or find your blood sugar spikes, mm -hmm. or um, you had some like hydrogenated vegetable oils, okay. or some like bad stuff. Yeah, like, yeah. Yes, so all those things would do it. Mm -hmm. Yep. In excess. Yeah, in, in excess, of course. Okay. <laughs> in excess, a great band in the 80s. My first concert I've ever been to. We'll talk about a different podcast. Uh, um, so you have this signaling of inflammation. Mm -hmm. Then why is that bad? Like there's a signal. So something mm -hmm. bad's going on. Like I get it. Like in my house, the smoke alarm goes off, but that's just a signal. It doesn't actually mean that there's a fire. Is it like, why is, why is, like, why do we have to worry about that? Yeah. How to explain this? <laughs> it's a great question. I've been, I've been wanting to for a long time, do a, do a blog post on, doing inflammation in kind of layman's terms. And I, I well, think it's Well, you can do really, it right now. You I know. You're first. I'll write it all down as you go. Yes. Well, yeah. You'll have a blog at the end. <laughs> it's really hard to, under, uh, to articulate because all of these things that we know and see are happening on a very like cellular level. And so the chemical signaling that's happening between these cells to say, destroy this tissue or um, this is a problem mm. we need to eradicate it or shift the species in the microbiota like are coming between the interactions mm. between the cells and and that's what's hard to kind of express simply right okay. <laughs> yep. but basically yeah if it's changing like your microbiota species which then I don't know affect a disease state that's ultimately what can be happening right okay so it could cause a disease state it eventually. could yeah inflammation mm -hmm. could yeah. eventually um, okay so Keeping the gut microbiome healthy is mm -hmm. important. Mm -hmm. uh, your contention is that it uh, can be done primarily through eating fruits and vegetables and avoiding the processed foods. Yeah, it's a preventative way. Yeah, Keeping calories in check. Mm -hmm. um, but we kind of dance around this thing, keto, and a lot of people go on keto because their mm -hmm. gut is messed up. Hmm. Okay. Why are they, first off, like what is keto? What's mm -hmm. your take on it? Mm -hmm. um, those people that are having gut issues that seem to have to be resolved through, and people do the same thing with intermittent fasting. And again, I, I kind of get what you're saying now is that maybe they're solving another problem by mm -hmm. doing these things. Mm -hmm. um, what is your take on um, the ketogenic diet? Yeah. Does getting people into ketosis and using ketones as a fueling source other mm -hmm. than carbs seem to mitigate some health effects? Mm -hmm. Or is it just also one of those things that would have been taken care of anyway had they taken this more whole foods approach? Yeah. So the keto diet is a really low carb carbohydrate diet. It generally is about 20 grams of carbohydrate or less per day. And then- Is that um, subtracted out the fiber? So is that net or gross? I'm assuming that's subtracting out the fiber, but I, I actually that. that's need my, to- That's my understanding of as well. Probably need to double check. Yeah. When I, when I tried it, I tried it as 20 grams total. I was- Not was, eating a lot of carbohydrate. It was basically just, I was just drinking just oil. It's disgusting. <laughs> um, so very low carbohydrate diet. It's And I've mentioned this before. It, it does have some really effective applications and it, reversing insulin resistance comes to mind. Type 2 mm. diabetes comes to mind. Mm. And in fact, there's people that are using it to reverse diabetes, type 2 diabetes, which is awesome. Exactly where it should be used. People will also use it for weight loss and you can use it for weight loss. I don't know that it's, well, I know that it's not the only way to get weight loss. Um, I, I'm not... Like when people in the CrossFit community ask me about it, especially because I have a lot of lean, 
high performing athletes asking me about it. I'm not totally sure why. So we find with CrossFit uh, activity, it's really high intensity, um, you know, primarily burning only carbohydrates. And so that's when it feels a little bit misplaced. Now, if somebody were to come to CrossFit and be severely deconditioned and they adopt a keto diet because they are severely insulin resistant or on their way to type 2 diabetes, that still makes sense for that person, even though they're doing CrossFit, because they're not at this high performing capacity yet, right? But when you take someone who's kind of at the top end of your gym or competitive athlete who wants to really push performance and they don't have insulin resistance, I'm, I just don't see why you would go about that diet. And it kind of goes back to one of my other points that I said in the beginning, like I really believe nutrition should be as inclusive as possible. And so when you do keto, because of those lower carbohydrate choices, you end up having to cut out some options in terms of fruits and vegetables, right? Great. If that's where you need to be because you have insulin resistance or some other health concern, but I wouldn't do that out of the gates with an otherwise healthy population. And then especially in the context of people who want to do high intensity training, you know, again, if you like long hikes or I don't know, um, pick another more low intensity sport, long you, walks on the beach, long walks on the beach, you know, yeah, you can go sport. way yeah. lower carbohydrate and, it, and you'll never see it shake out in performance, right? Because you're, those things don't require super, super high intensity. But you know, when you have the person who wants the two minute Fran and their abs are sticking out at you, you're like, I don't think keto's for you. <laughs> so um, you threw it around there a couple of times, insulin resistance. What mm -hmm. is that? And how do I know if I am insulin resistant? Yeah, I mean, you would have different markers. Um, typically you're gonna have a pre-diabetic fasting glucose. Um, they actually can measure your fasting insulin as well. Um, so yeah, you would know that from your doctor telling you that. Um, so if I, went for, yeah. if I went for my, my normal checkup, mm -hmm. My doc, if I was insulin resistant, that's one mm. of the things the doctor would tell me as I'm walking out. You know, I, I would probably would guess they would tell you that you're pre-diabetic or diabetic. And that's, it means the same yeah. thing. Yeah. Because, um, well, type two diabetes, of course, we're not talking about type one, but yeah, I mean, generally the early signs and they, the most common measure they're going to take on the lab test is fasting glucose. I have had my doctors do fasting insulin. I think that's less common. Don't mm -hmm. totally quote me, but I like, it's just not part of the standard panel. So they would first look at fasting glucose. If there's a problem there, they might do a little bit more. They might look at HGA1C. That's a common one as well. Depending on their, where those values are, they could start to say, oh, you're, you're heading towards diabetes, pre-diabetic, or you have it. Okay. So yeah, those would be signs. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there's a, there's plenty of people in the CrossFit community who are not there, right? And who are ch really chasing high intensity performance. Um, and then, okay, so if somebody was though, because we, I mean, mm -hmm. CrossFit's in a different space than it was mm -hmm. 10 years ago when we were all, everyone that was coming in here was looking for peak elite fitness. Mm -hmm. We're getting a lot of people now that are looking to get healthy mm -hmm. um, and they are walking in here 100 pounds overweight. Sure. Um, what would be like, I, it seems to me if you went to the ketogenic side of things, you'd be giving up and maybe this is a term that you is not that, but you'd be giving a lot of nutrient density. You've given mm -hmm. up a lot of like, as you mentioned, like the vitamins and the minerals and the phytochemicals and the polyphenols mm -hmm. and all those the fiber yeah. yeah, and all the fiber, you'd be giving up a lot of those things mm -hmm. for this kind of like, we're gonna keep your blood sugar in check mm -hmm. game, mm -hmm. right? We're going to like, just not let it go anywhere. Mm -hmm. Is that, um, is that, is that a good trade-off? I would try to push people towards not doing that first. Now, people can be overweight and still have normal blood sugar. There are, you know, they call it the healthy over 
healthy mm. obese or something mm. like that. Um, so again, it can go back to what their doctor is telling them in terms of their lab work, that if somebody is not pre-diabetic or diabetic, that I wouldn't necessarily push them to keto right away. Hey, let's just start eating better overall. Let's get that quantity down. Let's try to keep as many fruits and vegetables as you like. Let's get you moving, see what happens there before going super restrictive. I mean, super restrictive is hard to sustain. And that's another reason, not just this nutrient density piece, but sustainability of keto is really tough over the long term. You know, if you have to do it for a period of time, great, but um, for very specific reasons. But and I wouldn't want to start there if I don't have to. Have you seen people that, and I know you're not the keto yeah. expert, but have you seen people that have done, or uh, is there research that people have done ketosis for a while that they end up with certain nutrient deficiencies? I have seen, um, I think it was with my gastro uh, professor, when people going on the a keto diet, that their gut microbiota starts to shift relatively quickly because they're not taking in that fiber. What are the long-term In a negative way? Could be, yeah, definitely. Because they don't have enough material to feed those species that mm. are present. What are the long-term implications of that? We don't know. If you really never feed, because like, you know, oftentimes studies are four weeks, so you'll see a shift in four weeks and then we don't know what happens, right? Um, that's that's not good there they go like Um, so you have no idea like that's like but you don't also i would assume that not everybody also stays on that protocol so somebody chewing tobacco for four weeks there's nothing wrong with well we wouldn't do that because we know we know that that's not healthy but yeah but we don't know because of the long-term effects Mm -hmm. if we want to stop people for four weeks then maybe we wouldn't see anything but the problem is the species shift is if you don't have the right fiber to feed some of the microbiota then you ultimately run the risk of killing them off we don't know, okay, now you don't, you no longer have X species present. It's a whole ecosystem. So shifts in this ecosystem, like if one species dies, what's going to happen to the other species? Yeah. We don't really know. And so that's again, where if I don't have to, if I don't have to, and I wouldn't do this cause I don't work, you know, necessarily with medical conditions, but like, I wouldn't go right to keto for weight loss. Yeah. I try to do something. If somebody likes to be low carb, just cause that's the way they are. They find that they're a little bit um, less carb tolerant or whatever it is. Great, but I don't know that I would go to full ketosis because so, it's limiting. So where would you go for someone that wants it? We talked about optimal health, seems to be like sure. an 800 gram challenge. Where Somebody needs to lose 70 pounds mm-hmm. to get towards like normal functionality in their life. Yeah. What would you, would it still be the 800 gram? Or would you kind of like? I'd like to get them there, but I, I often don't think that's the case, right? If somebody has that much weight to lose, they they might be eating more of, a, I'm guessing, more of a standard American diet. And it could even be starting not with 800 grams. It could be like just the no soda. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, so I like to take where people are. And one of the things that I like to do is just, hey, take pictures of your last meals and let's look at that and let's find a change within mm-hmm. that that's sustainable. And I actually got that idea originally from Berardi, um, Precision Nutrition, mm-hmm. who he's really big, at least when I was taking his course years and years ago, really big on the psychology of it. And I think his, and this, I, I again, don't know if this is still accurate, but I think it's like step one, he just has people take a multivitamin every day. And then like step two is like drink X amount of water every day. And it's like this really easy buy-in to like build that on-ramp of success. And I just love that idea. It's like, why would I take someone who's eating no fruits and vegetables and just say 800 grams, you know, like I'm kind of setting them up for less success. I'd rather take where they are and say, okay, looks like you have two things of donuts today. Let's take out one or whatever it is. Yeah. From the coaching perspective though, this is what my mind automatically goes to is um, I'm not going to keep that person bought in because they're not gonna see results. Mm. So I have someone take a multivitamin and over three weeks, there's no changes. Yep. And they're not improved. They're like, that doesn't work. I'm on to the Done. next thing. Hmm. And I go on to the next thing and the next person says like, you have to eliminate every donut from your meal. And like, you have to, t- you know, you have to go keto. Sure. And after 
keto would be a bad yeah. example because it takes so long to get into right. it. You have to go into macros. You're doing okay. macros. And after four days, they've lost 12 pounds. They're like, this one works. And mm-hmm. um, I That's get true. that that one's way more sustainable for sure. Mm-hmm. And the long term, if you have in a vacuum, in a perfect world, without the psychology, mm-hmm. I feel like that's a better approach. Just sure. like drip, drip, drip. Mm-hmm. It's how I train somebody if like, I wasn't worried about them. If I had somebody who's like, I'm going to be at your gym for five years. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, low trajectory towards the distant horizon. Totally sure. get that. But every day you have to sell them to come back tomorrow. Yeah, that's true. That's. I think there was something, uh, I remember doing this and I've actually done it with one of my clients. Um, and, and it was, we had about a list of 10 different ideas that I came up with. And, you know, we could pick multivitamin water and it was also eliminate this, to add this, yada, yada. And I had her rate on a scale of one to 10, which ones she was most likely to do. Mm. And you want to pick ones that are at least a seven, meaning like 10, like, oh, I yeah. can do this immediately now. At least a seven. That type of idea can also yeah. work. And so it doesn't necessarily need to be just a just a multivitamin. Um, but you want to find something where they are going to knock it out of the park, right. I think, in the beginning. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I think we can start to, to um, close out this conversation. But I wanted to ask you one thing. We just did an episode uh, where I listed for Ben... Um, a number of the sort of the top trends that we've seen within CrossFit, okay. uh, especially nutritionally. So okay. when we started, uh, everybody did the zone yep. diet, right? Zone diet plus a bunch of fish oil. And that was, you were yep, a CrossFitter done. now. And, yep. and then paleo <laughs> showed up. And then at some point, macros and flexible eating and now keto. Intermittent fasting, yep. And intermittent fasting. And so what I'm curious to hear your take on, not, not the specifics of each of those trends, mm-hmm. but why... Why is it necessary? Why does it seem necessary that there's everybody's always looking for the next thing mm. to jump on that bandwagon? And now I'm a keto person and mm-hmm. next month it'll be the pizza diet or whatever it is. Hollywood cookie. The diet. Hollywood cookie diet. Is that a diet? That's a thing. Wow. Okay. Why in in your having worked oh, with oh, people, no, <laughs> understanding the science, what about it? You know, one of the things that I read on 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 your site was that. To some degree, you you're a proponent of the 40-30-30 split mm-hmm. from Barry Sears from the Zone Diet, which oh, yeah. again we've talked about. That was twelve years ago. That's what everybody at least mm-hmm. started with, and then people adjusted. In your opinion, why is it necessary for every two or three years for every, all of the you know I think about now I think, um, and I don't want to certainly put any words in in these individuals' mouths because I don't know them well enough. But you know Rob Wolf and Mark mm-hmm. Sasson, they're both on the keto mm-hmm. trend now, and like mm-hmm. that's. That's the thing that's that everybody's thing, supposed to be right? doing now. Why? Why is it? Why can't we just? Why? Why can't it just be? This just. This is it. This. Mm. This is the thing that we do. I'd like to know, Patrick. Can yeah. you answer that question? <laughs> I think it no. goes back to the boredom thing, but it. Yeah. But, and and also to your point about about um, people want to see results quicker mm. than results should be expected maybe yeah. and, so, and and uh, just the, the novelty of starting something new, new. feels like the mm-hmm. feedback everybody's looking for. my take yeah. on that would be um are they trying to get people healthy or are they trying to sell a book in a program mm-hmm. you know if you're trying to sell a book in a program and you're saying the same thing as people have been said for forever like why is somebody gonna buy your book in your program mm-hmm. but if you have this new innovative thing I'm not saying that, that these things don't work because <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, yeah. keto works, yeah. intermittent fasting mm-hmm. works, like macros mm-hmm. work, like mm-hmm. they all work. Um, but if you, that's, I think mean, that's why the new things keep popping up. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think that's why the next thing is going to come up after this. Mm-hmm. Right. And I do think we like learning new things, right? I mean, over the course, you, you stay right. interested, you challenge yourself. And so I think there, I don't like the word boredom, but yeah, I mean, it's this idea is like, is this it? 
Um, I, I know at my first CrossFit seminar, when I saw that eat meat and vegetables, nuts and seeds, et cetera. And I honestly was like, huh? Like that's it. And then, you know, years later, master's degree later, I'm like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> you know, executing it for 10 years, implementing with people, trying stuff, doing another degree. I was like, yeah, actually that was really elegant, you know? Um, Damn it. Darn. It's, it really <laughs> is. What's, it what again. I I know what I find the hard part is I mentioned this before is the execution. And mm-hmm. I think that's where it is. It's like, oh wow, to do this, eat high quality, not too much sleep and exercise every day or five out of seven days, whatever you want to say, really, really hard to do ad nauseum. Mm-hmm. Why? Because we have life, kids, stress, job, distractions, bad food all around us. I mean, there's so many things to pull us out of that um, ideal state um, that it's really hard to do. And and so I think, you know, you fall out of this routine and then a new idea comes around. And it's like, well, maybe this will do it, you mm-hmm. know, and all of that stuff. There's so many things that derail us from some pretty basic diet and nutrition. Do you have any, uh, do you have any tips or tactics or tricks, uh, as to how, and I'll ask you this too, Ben, cause we've talked about it a little bit, but how you stay on the, on the, the, the proverbial straight and narrow, how do you not get pulled by all those things you yeah. listed to the point where you're, you, you need something. I need something new. I need to, I need to start from scratch. I need to consider myself a blank canvas and tomorrow's the Hollywood cookie diet. I'm yeah. Doing yeah. I mean, I think it's just realizing one, accepting and knowing that's going to happen, knowing life's going to throw you off. You just have to get back on it. I mean, I sort of compare nutrition to training in that way. Like if I miss a workout, I just go back to the gym the next day. I'm not like every fitness gain is lost, right? <laughs> like it's just like, oh shoot, I missed a workout. I'm going to get back to it. The other thing, and Miranda has been pushing this a lot on her uh, for street parking, which I really like. And it's this idea of more than, more than nothing. Mm. And it's just like, even if the workout is a five minute thing in your living room, it's great. Like do what you can when you can, and just yep. know that that builds over time. More than nothing is the name of my autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> Um, my take was in order to stay on the straight and narrow, the easiest thing I think that people can do is set themselves up for good habits. And the way to do that is by setting up your environment. If you have a craving, if you have a, uh, the temptation, I really want a cookie, a man, I really want the ice cream and it's right there. I mean, think about it. It's like when you're at, you gave this perfect example. I remember you talking about this where willpower only lasts so long, Mm -hmm. right? And you were at your in-laws and there's all this pizza out. And when you walk through the door, you're like, I'm not having any pizza. Like, I'm the strong-willed guy. Mm. I'm the healthy guy. I'm the guy that does CrossFit. I'm on that Chasing Excellence podcast. I talk <laughs> about his good habits. I'm not having it. And two hours later, two hours later, <laughs> damn pizza you're three pieces there. deep, yeah. right? Crushing because it. it's there. Yeah. The po- the top is open, yeah. mm-hmm. and you're staring at it. Mm-hmm. Now, if there wasn't pizza at that party, you're not. Two hours in that party going, where I want right. really want some pizza. I really want some pizza. Or if they'd removed it 30 minutes after. If it's I not right. there, yeah. it's not there. So yeah. having it in front of you is the hardest thing in the world. It's why at the gym, we have a policy, don't bring in sweets. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is people's little safety zone. We're creating an environment for them to succeed in. The last thing we want to do is have to be able to use up their hard-earned mm-hmm. willpower at the gym right. yeah. to fight off like their... So my biggest thing is like, don't, if you, if you want to eat healthy, like get rid of it and like talk to, like obviously at your house is the easy, like clean out the pantry, clean out the freezer, Mm -hmm. um, clean out the shelves, you know, just have your house stocked with healthy stuff. When you have that craving, if you need to drive to the supermarket or drive to the ice cream store, that's what they call it, ice cream shop, ice cream store. The ice cream store? Yeah. Ice cream store, but yeah. So ice okay. cream, well, I guess place? I guess depends. You can get ice cream in a lot of places. So then that's a real craving yeah, yeah. that you are like, yeah. 
That's maybe, a problem. <laughs> maybe, maybe you should satisfy right, that because right. some bad things <laughs> right, might happen right, if you right. don't. But if it's just like, yeah. eh, and you almost do it by mistake, yeah. like that's when like, you're doing yourself a major disservice. Awesome. Yeah. I like Clean that. up your environment. Totally. Uh, EC, where can people learn more about you, what you're doing, how to get a hold of you, all that good stuff? What's the best place or places? OptimizeMeNutrition.com and same handle on Instagram. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming out and talking to us. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thanks, EC. <laughs> yes. You can get every episode of Chasing Excellence wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Until next time, thank you for listening.